Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio One of the things I love about making beer is when I can make a beautiful crystal clear beer. Don't get me wrong, last week we talked about hazy IPAs and when they're supposed to be hazy, I want them that way. But when I wanna make a lager, I want it to be bright. So we're talking to Jamie Carmichael and we're gonna to talk to him about making clear beer on Homebrewing DIY. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking with Jamie Carmichael. Jamie is the technical sales director for Murphy & Son Limited. They make finings and brewing equipment and products for the brewing industry. And he's based here in the United States. And we're going to talk to him about techniques to making very clear beer. So I'm excited. Stick around for the interview. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. I first thing want to do is mention a couple of patrons who have now given at any amount. So uh, I'd like to throw a shout out to Nivik. Nivik has given at the $1 level. So thank you very much. And Chris George also gave at the $1 level. So thank you very much. Just note, I I mentioned this last week, I did change my levels on Patreon. You can now get access to the RSS feed and a set of stickers for only $1. So head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer and Give it, give a dollar, and you can be listening to an early ad-free episode. If you're a patron, you're listening to the show on a Tuesday right now, versus waiting until Thursday, and there are no commercials. So, if commercials bother you, which they do bother me, that's one way to get it commercial-free. So, I'd like to thank all of our patrons. Another way to support the show, you can give one time over at Coffee. That's K-O-F-I dot com forward slash homebrewing DIY. 
And there you can do a one-time donation to the show. And all of those, those donations as well help keep us up and rolling. So thank you very much. Another way to support the show is to write us a review. Head over to podchaser.com. Or if you're listening to us on Apple, just scroll to the bottom. Leave us a five-star review. That really helps as well. The last way to support the show is head on over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer. And there you can use our sponsor banners. So if you're going to buy homebrew supplies from Adventures in Homebrewing, it's it's a short trip to just go click on the link and doing so keeps your prices all the same. If you have a special deal, still stays the same, but it lets them know that we sent you and then they there in turn support the show. We also have other banners such as Brewfather and brewinabag.com or the brew bag. And clicking on those links is also going to support us. Not a ton going on in my brewery right now. I actually was a little sick last week. I apparently got the show out, but was unable to do the blog post. I I was held up in bed. I didn't have COVID-19. I just uh, had a really bad toothache, and uh, it was a pretty miserable experience. And uh, But I am feeling better this week, so pretty excited about that. But uh, yeah... It's been a, a rough time down here in the Wilson house. So, but excited to get this week's episode out. Also excited to possibly get a brew day in this week. Uh, I, I want to, I have a few beers I want to brew. I want to brew a Saison and I also want to do an, a hazy IPA just because the, the show last week where I talked to Brandon Snaps gave me some ideas of how I want to change up my hazy IPA so that I, you know, can maybe get a more consistent product. I feel like the hazy IPA has been my white well. So we'll get through it. Well, let's dive into the episode. Let's talk to Jamie Carmichael, and we're going to talk about techniques for making clear beer. I'd like to welcome Jamie Carmichael. Jamie's a technical sales director for Murphy and Son, which is a, uh, what would you say they do? They they sell brewing supplies, right? Is that what you would say? Yeah, we, 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 we make, uh, you know, some, some brewing supplies, some, some beer agents, and, you know, we supply a bit of everything. We've been in the allied industries, as they call it, for, for commercial breweries since 1887. We've that's got all, a, a, a long back catalogue. That's a real long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, and, and in that time, you know, it's still kind of in, uh, you know, the original location, which is a gravity-fed kind of brewery from, uh, you know, the mid-19th century, um, you know, in, in the Midlands of the UK. So that's our headquarters. It's a small company, and we kind of focus on, you know, supplying breweries with, you know, beer processing aids and, you know, almost kind of most things that you need to make make good beer well jamie is uh the united states technical sales director and you're originally from uh scotland and you've been studied brewing distilling and then you've also worked in as a you've been a home brewer you've worked as a professional brewer let's let's start with how you started home brewing and how that turned into an entire education for you how did how did that all happen yeah, I mean, I, I left school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in, in Edinburgh, Scotland. And if you didn't know what you wanted to do and you needed a 
a job you went and you know you worked in a bar and uh eventually i kind of saved up some money and bought a plane ticket and i kind of flew over to the united states for a little bit this would have been 2005 2006 and i traveled around and i you know ended up in san francisco and i visited anchor steam brewery we did the tour and it was really you know, a great tour around the brewery there and had had a couple of beers at the end and um one of the brewers came out and this was kind of before the time of you know official kind of meet the brewers and he yeah a scruffy guy wearing kind of overalls and he came behind the the tasting bar and poured himself a beer and answered a couple of questions and then went back to work and i thought that was that was kind of cool and then i ended up in australia uh and home brewing is pretty pretty big in australia they sell the you know these cooper's homebrew kits in in the supermarkets you can go to the supermarket you can buy your uh groceries and you can put in a, a homebrew kit you know and we you know i was in my 20s and living with this guy we, we, we bought one of these kits we went in it together and you know poured this syrup and some water into a bucket and added some yeast and thought thought we were amazing <laughs> uh, and I kind of connected the dots between what I'd just done, you know, I'd, I'd caused it to happen. And then, you know, this, this memory from a kind of few months earlier at Anchor Steam Brewery with this kind of guy who, who, who got to drink beer at work. And I said, Hey, that's, um, that's a job for me. <laughs> I think I've decided my, my vocation in life. And, you know, when you grow up in, in Scotland, you know, you go to high school and, you know, tertiary, you know, university education is free. And they, they give you when you're leaving school, uh, they give you this, this really big book uh, of all the universities in Scotland with all the courses, uh, the, the UCAS book. And you can look through pages and pages of this, this massive tome of uh, education. And, and I remembered, you know, kind of six years later that when I was kind of had been reading this, this book, that there was a, a course in my hometown on brewing and distilling, you know, at, at this university called Harriet Watt. You know, so I was kind of by that stage I was I was living in, in kind of Queensland. I was working in this 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 resort in a pool bar, you know, one of these ones that people swim up to. Uh, I was kind of living up there, you know, living in a van and um, uh, going to you know, this is before, you know, kind of smartphones. I'd kinda of go to the internet cafe and filled out this application form and, you know, kind of had to you know, email my dad to go into the attic to find paperwork and, you know, apply to, to go to university in Scotland, you know, to go and study brewing and distilling and, you know, absolutely loved it. You know, if they, if they didn't, you know, make me graduate, I'd, I'd, I'd potentially still be there. It was a, you know, pretty pleasant lifestyle. And then, after that, you went right into pro brewing, or were you home brewing the whole time? Yeah, we home brewed at a university. It, it, it was splendid because they, you know, the system was they had this old kind of pilot brewery. You know, it made nice beer, and they got donated kind of bags of malt from like crisp malting was one I remember, and then they had some stuff from, um, you know, from Vireman. Some, some bags there and you'd go and I, I can't remember the name of the, the the calculator at the time this would have been kind of 2006 you know you'd you know we all started home brewing together um you know the 10 brewing students there were in the year and we'd kind of go down to the pilot brewery and speak to to Graham McKernan 
who was the the pilot uh, brewery kind of lead down there, and you know you, you'd have to find him. You know, quite often he was maybe walking around the the block smoking a kind of rolled up cigarette or something like that, and you'd go find him and get him to to open up the the malt room, and you'd weigh out your grains and you know find some hops in the in in the pilot lab and and kind of mill them up and you know go take a bag of milled grain and put it in your you know in your locker and then take it home in the bus um so you know we were kind of home brewing um all through university you know occasionally we did we did we did step to go and buy some materials from a homebrew store it was, it was kind of nothing nothing like it is now and you know if you, if you wanted to drink beer you know even not not even as kind of ambitious as the beers you get commercially now the only way to to drink them was you had to kind of make them yourself so you know, you know the, the first kind of hoppy beers and big beers or you know imperial stouts that you know we could get and drink in, in scotland in 2005 you know we were making making our own you know yeah it's it's amazing the amount of variety of beer you can get at a brewery today is compared to even 15 or 20 years ago right and and that's a global thing it's not i know we talk about it here in the united states like oh microbrewery is a whole thing but even in the uk for a long time you know it was a lot of this very much the same styles over and over again and and now you can pretty much get any beer there right yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, there there was Real Ale. I mean, Real Ale had kind of had done well. You know, there's a campaign for, for Real Ale Camera, which you know, you know, they kind of say themselves they kind of, you know, they completed their mission. You know, so you know, with the home brewing, we would go to to Real Ale festivals. Um, you know, and and there's a variety there. You know, it, it, there's certainly. You know, a, a, a spectrum. Um, so, so there, there was that. Um, you know, and potentially kind of German beer bars, but you know, right now it, it's it's amazing. You know, I, I live in New England, and you can go to a gas station and be 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 um, overwhelmed with with choice. It, it it's really fantastic. It really is. But and, and even though you're in New England, and I'm sure you like your because you sell to breweries you're 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 probably living in a land of new england ipa just like the rest of the country but i brought you on the show for a specific reason and i want to talk about brilliantly beautiful clear beer and mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i i personally you know when a style wants is meant to be a hazy style a hefeweizen or a, a new england style or hazy ipa you know, I go for that style, but for the most part, when I make other types of beer, a blonde ale, uh, a lager, uh, you know, a standard West coast IPA, I'm, I'm looking for a, that brilliantly clear beer. I, to me, if it's meant to be a clear style, I want it to be as crystal clear as possible. And I'd love to talk to you about some tr- tips and tricks that you would give anybody at a homebrew level on making your beer as clear as possible all the way. And I think we should start with maybe process and some things that you could do as part of your process to really just make sure that you're, you're setting yourself up right to get the clearest beer possible. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a fining expert now, but you know, I've, I've you know done brewing science and I've worked in breweries, and you know, fi- finings are an aid. You know, they're they're not the silver bullet. You know, you do need raw material selection, and you do need a you know the the process in place, uh, and and the, the fining is just give you that, you know, help you get that last mile. So, you know, we're very lucky. I mean, you know, sometimes what I say with my position here, you know, because I mostly work with commercial breweries is, you know, I'm, you know commercial brewing of uh, beer in the United States is quite often the brewing kind of English styles on, you know, German equipment with kind of, uh, you know, American enthusiasm. Uh, so it can be a little bit kind of kind of complicated to get them into the, the actual vessels, but you know for homebrew side, you know the you know, the raw materials which are available, you know, are on par with you know what we said with the kind of craft beer earlier. The you know there's some really fantastic raw materials out there, and it, and it does start with the malt. You know the the British style was using a kind of very well modified malt uh that you know required you know not much processing by the brewer so what you saw was it was kind of e- easy to kind of break up there was kind of very little kind of protein uh left he didn't there was no requirement for a kind of protein rest during the mash so, you know, so absolutely using a like a well quality well modified malt or if you're you are choosing you know to brew more of a German style that you understand the the additional processing requirements that you need to put in place upstream in the mash, uh, and then through to to boiling, you know the absolutely the, the most critical thing for the coagulation of proteins is the you know a very vigorous boiling. It's you know a lot of it is there's the heat involved, but the actual action you know the 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 kind of turbulence in in the in the boil is one of the things which you know really augments the the coagulation of the proteins yeah so Uh, i'd like to ask some questions there just a bit so you know personally there's all kinds of debates out there right now where it's like should you boil hard should you boil just barely rolling and obviously it's I think it also depends on the type of beer you're trying to make, but, you know, for example, you talk about the coagulation of the proteins and, and, you know, boiling hard helps that happen faster. Um, is, is, is it, you know, a more vigorous boil makes it so that those proteins coagulate more, or if you have a, a slower boil, it, it's harder to achieve. Is, is that, is, is that the science behind that? Yeah, yeah, I know the. I'm, 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 it's quite late over here. The, the name escapes me, but the, the brewer, you know, from from Hogard in 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 Belgium, uh, who kind of moved down to Texas. I believe his his trick was the, um, you know, for maintaining a stable haze was just to, to kind of simmer, simmer the the boiling wort. Um, Whereas, you know, if you want to get those really big flots of the the hot break and you know kickstart the formation of the cold break, you know, it's you know the, the mechanical vigor. I think when I homebrew, you know, I've only recently re-entered kind of homebrewing world. Recently, you know, 
you know, pr prior to, uh, you know, prior to this, I was either working in a brewery where, you know, you would take home, you know, kind of wonky labeled beer or underfilled beer. So I was kind of self-sufficient for beer <laughs> from work. And then um, after that, I was, you know, I was on the road quite a lot. So I didn't really, really kind of care to, to, to homebrew very much, you know. So this is, it's only been a kind of last year since kind of COVID uh i think it's fantastic what's happened with the changes but you know what i think what homebrewer calls a vigorous boil is probably more vigorous than what you can get in a commercial setting yeah i see you know if i if i'm you know i think when i started i was like i need a vigorous boil so i put the burner up you know real high and burnt it for for 60 minutes uh and i think i had an like an evaporation of like 15 percent and i think <laughs> um you know i think what you, generally what you're looking for is you know five maybe ten percent you know wouldn't wouldn't go lower than five so you you it's one of the things which just because of the the geometries and the volumes involved with home brewing that you could you, you know you can you can kind of over egg it a little bit what i do now is i i i do i think i can't even remember the name of the brewery i worked in where i picked this up but i do a, a vigorous kind of 10 minutes uh kind of 40 minute kind of simmer stage where as long as it's moving and then the final kind of 10 minutes is a vigorous again that's my strategy awesome and in doing so, you you mentioned that it kind of kickstarts the the cold break in the with with getting that agitation going, and uh, yeah, it, it definitely you know we've we've got some very good data on the hot break for the for the you know for the you know for the turbulence in it, um, and then a lot of what I specialize now in is the application of you kind of carrageenan. Base base finding agents, which, which mostly work on on the cold break side, and it's a it, it's a finicky science. It does involve, you know, if you have hot break carryover, because you've had a, a poor, less vigorous boil, uh, you know, the inclusion of hot break will be a detriment to the formation of the cold break. And then it's it's a lot harder and. We're going to assume, I, I want to assume that people listening to this are brand new homebrewers. And so if you, if you don't have a good formation of your cold break, what ends up happening is that you still have a lot of proteins in suspension as you rack your beer into your fermenter, right? Yeah. So I think that, I mean, like the, the cold break is, you know, it's quite often kind of classified as being protein and it is mostly protein. The protein that we, we talk about it, it is kind of similar to kind of gluten you know which is kind of a, a kind of famous uh aggregate of kind of protein it's more the storage protein from from all which is hoarding it's not digested very well it isn't um you know it's quite big and it, and it coagulates but along with the protein there is a, a sugar which is also you know one of these kind of bet noirs of Home brewers, which is going to beta glucan, so that's tied up in there. So it's maybe fifty percent protein, twenty five percent beta glucan, and the other kind of twenty five percent is polyphenols. Um, 
in all things that are going to be a detriment to the clarity of your beer, right? Yeah. So what we generally say is as the strategy is you want to be removing, you know, as much of that part, particular material at every stage of the process. So, you know, we didn't talk too much about, about lactering or, um, you know, kind of mash tun or separation technology, you know, we can move past that, you know, so it is vigorous boiling, you know, I think a lot of brewers are kind of figuring out a system where they either kind of have a whirlpool or, or some kind of screen to hold back the, any kind of hot material and, you know, tube or, or, or hot break. Uh, and then onwards, most of the time, what you see with 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 kind of commercial brewing is that the um, you know the carrageen and the kettle finings are you mostly see them kind of working in the in the fermenter. It's obviously a little bit different with with home brewing if you're using an immersion uh, cooler because all the all the break will sediment out in that vessel. And, and then let's talk about, you know, different types of, uh, you know, things you can do in the fermentation side to help with clarity. So obviously, I think a lot with home brewing, you know, we're buying either kind of liquid pitch from, from those providers or it's a dry pitch. Dead yeast doesn't flocculate very well. So if you're, you know, that is a, a main main problem uh, or, or, or can be a big problem with kind of pitching unviable cells. And you know, we do see like a, uh, sometimes a range, you know, with with all these breweries, there's different different expertise in yeast handling. And there, there can be, um, you know, some a proportion of kind of kind of dead yeast going in, uh, which will cause a haze problem. You know, one of the things you, you know, breweries will do is kind of remove the break. You know, the the cold break will settle over the, you know, the course of the first twenty four hours, forty eight hours during the, you know, during the kind of growth phase of the of the yeast. So it, you know, if you do have a kind of cylindrical kind of homebrew setup, it is possible to to remove the cold break from the from the fermenter. Uh, for the most part, you know, you know, as long as you kind of pitch nice, healthy yeast, you know, kind of ninety percent viability, 95, 98, uh, you should be fine. And then most of the, you know, the agents that we we work with happen at the end. Uh, one of the reasons I kind of said I didn't do any um, home brewing when when I was kind of traveling, not that I didn't want to, was because um, I didn't have any cooling uh and i, I was so determined <laughs> that i wasn't going to do any any home brewing unless i could attemperate it cool it keep it you know keep it in cold storage uh they didn't do anything and then i i opted to to buy a couple of chest freezers with thermostats to you know to to run some some yeast studies they, they went phenomenally expensive uh because at, at, you know during the toilet paper rush um but <laughs> in terms of kind of non non kind of chemical agents uh that you can do for for really bright clear beer is it, cold 
you know, so you're, you know, you, I, I maintain, you know, quite a, a, a cool temperature throughout fermentation, you know, uh, you know, cold crash is the, you know, is, is the kind of terminology that, you know, most folk use for that point at the end of uh, fermentation where, you know, you go up and you put the, uh, you know, you, you turn the cold on higher, you know, you make it, I, I generally set it to, you know, around about freezing or the, you know, water freezing point. Uh, and then I leave it, you know, and get as much yeast off and then typically kind of transfer it off the the sedimented yeast that's kind of dropped out because of the cold um, most other things have started to drop out and i'll transfer it to a, a new fresh clean vessel uh, and i'll continue to store it cold uh, and it's usually at that point if there's any beer findings i'm kind of kind of putting in i'll add them in there uh, beer and, findings. Uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was gonna say let's let's talk about findings now. I, I think that you know, because there, there there are some hot side findings out there as well, but uh, let's talk about your cold side findings and uh, and and kind of what what those look like. So there's me. There's two main ones, uh, and they come with kind of auxiliary finding agents. You know, which if you want what you know what they call like a button bright or a very polished beer. You know the the one which you know we, we we've we've sort of made since eighteen sixty. We we bought Savills who had made Isinglass since eighteen sixty, and we we still continue to make and sell to this you know some of their original customers from from eighteen sixty Isinglass. Isinglass is you know a you know what we call a kind of piscine derived finding agent. It comes comes from fish swim bladders. Uh, historically, I think the you know the fish of choice was sturgeon. It's a very large fish, and the swim bladders are are pretty big. Um, they don't come from sturgeon anymore. I think it, you know, it's too expensive. They they come from you know kind of species of uh, catfish from from India, which have the the swim bladders are smaller. Generally, if you're sourcing swim bladders, uh, you want to look for estuarine fish because they need the greatest size of swim bladder to cope with the changing density of water owing to the mix of fresh and salt water in that region. So, so that they're sourced and it's uh produced into a, a liquid which is still very popular for the clarification of car scale you know when i started with the company i obviously heard of it. it it's a fine agent that works very well but um i did ask how anyone ever thought to use it what it what it transpires is that you know swim bladder is you know it's a it's basically a pouch you know, so it's a, uh, there's not a lot to it. It's kind of 98% collagen, which is the same, same sort of protein that is in the skin. You know, there's not a lot else to it, you know, so it was essentially used previously as a, you know, a storage vessel for beer, you know, cause there was a little bag. And I think from that, they, they were able to ascertain that it had another property. It does this, you know, the icing glasses are, a collagen it's a very long molecule 
you, in the process of making isinglass from what they call uh, fish moss, you know, you dissolve into a liquid and you tease apart these collagen molecules. And in a similar way to, to most fine agents, they work as flocculants. And you know, the theory goes is that you know, many large molecules or particles will fall faster than, uh, you, know, you know, many small ones to do with the fact that they're just kind of reducing the drag. There's some other kind of fluid dynamics going on there, which means it works very well, but that's kind of what happens. So the collagen has uh, an unusual amino acid called hydroxyproline, which carries with it a slight uh, positive charge. Yeast normally carries a, a slight negative charge to it. So when you add it into a solution, you might have kind of one long collagen molecule and it will kind of adhere to many yeast cells and they all drop out and they will form these kind of flocks. It happens very quickly. If you test it, you know, you, you put a drop in a, you know, a kind of pint glass size volume of beer. And within a couple of hours, it, you, you're seeing it settle um, and, and drop to the bottom. And so if you were brewing at home, what would, what, 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 what product would you use for refining? That is a very good one. The stuff that we use, it, because it's a, a piscine derived, it's, it's got a limited shelf life. It, it works brilliantly. The other one, which I meant to mention was the, the silica based ones. Um, so quite often they have a kind of more ready to use shelf stable. Um, so I do use this one as well. So th these are ones, there's a few different brand names out there. They're generally work in similar ways. So there's a kind of colloidal silicon solution. It works slightly differently than what the isinglass does. The isinglass comes in in this kind of big long molecule that's already formed. And as it goes in, it you know attracts yeast and it drops to the bottom and it pulls some other stuff out at the same time. The you know the, the silica based ones, you know the our one is called Super F. There's you know a few others. Um, it's a colloidal particle, so that particle is actually about a thousandth the size of a yeast cell. So very small. What you're relying on when you add it, it kickstarts a little reaction uh, due to the the changing pH, and it will start to to form a gel. In, in the vessel, very kind of light gel, and it has the same effect. It 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 works pretty well, and I think for for like a homebrew setting, if if things aren't moving very much, it will. It's a pretty good way of doing it. You can get you know I, I brew a lot of lager, and I, I generally use that for lager in a homebrew setting. The reason you know there's a two of them, apart from the origin, is that the you know, our main uh, kind of customers for, for the for the Isinglass are the, are the Carscale breweries in the UK. If you, you know, if you've 
worked in a cask ale brewery or you've drunk it, if you've seen a firkin from the UK, they would be tough because you know it basically relies on a, on a brewer pouring into the vessel, into the, this firkin, with some icing glass and hammering a shive in and rolling it to the brewery door and putting in a the back of a van and the van rolls it down the street and drops it into a cellar and you know the the you know the landlord of the pub rolls it from the cellar to the, the stillage and it moves around a lot you know so the the silica based fining agents don't stand up to to being moved around you know they they drop bright once maybe twice uh but after that they they start to disintegrate the sediment the icing glass of findings can actually improve uh because they're, they're sort of sticky so you you see the opposite effect um so different markets different beer styles require different types of findings and then you know there's auxiliary finding agents you can get as well which you know just help to adjust a few leftover particles but I, that's uh, a level. A level I, I don't even go to at home sometimes. Uh, you can get, you usually get with, with either of those below one EBC, which is the the haze rating for for beer that we use. And then, so so you know, to sum up what we've talked about already, obviously process and ingredient selection is really important when it comes to the types of like if you're going to make a clear beer, you got a plan for it, right? Mm -hmm. You want to select the right ingredients. And then once you get into the fermenter, just cold conditioning uh, and, and getting it cold is going to help you get that, the bulk of the, of the material that's floating around in there, the proteins and the, and the yeast, move it over to another vessel and then still store it cold and then find it at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the guy that taught me to make beer, you know, everything, everything is sat for two weeks. Uh, at, at minus two centigrade, which is what kind of 30, 30 Fahrenheit. Uh, and it, it, it was a big deal to, to have it released earlier than that. Um, and I've, but you know, I've, I've, I kind of sway a little bit now, especially with, with some of the hoppier ales, but they tend not to be the, um, the the bright ones. Usually, if I'm making a bright beer, I start, um, I'm worried he's going to come up my garden path and and tell me off potentially if I, I do it for less than two weeks. <laughs> um, the other thing, which I, I I don't know if you you're going to come to this. I think you know for for home brewing, and I've raised this you know kind of a couple of times with on 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 the Reddit forum, which you know kind of led me here. Um, is with the dose rate. Uh, the the dose rate of these products with you know your your cattle finding if you're using a like a world flock which is you know the other guy's one or if you use our one which is called protoflock you know similar kind of thing or if you're using isinglass or you're using the, the silicon one. Um, I think the most common error that most home brewers are likely to make is with an over application of the dose rate uh, because the, the actual dose rate is so so low um, so the, the caraginin which you're putting in 
at the you know the last few minutes of the boil there there was some discussion whether it was you know 10 minutes or 15 minutes that doesn't really make a difference um but it's not a tablet for a five gallon uh batch uh i I can i can tell you for for our one and i'm you know i'm fairly sure for 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 the other guys you know if, if they want to disagree with me you know, <laughs> I'll recall it, but you know, I think that tablet is probably was designed for 100 liters, which is what we call a hectoliter, or it was designed for a US brewing barrel, which is 117 liters. So, you know, so when I brew, I put in like one fifth of one of those tablets, and I literally am taking like one tablet out of a box that has 10,000 in it. You know, because that's my, that's, you know, that, that's the box I opened for, you know, for samples. And I'm a Scotsman, so I'm thrifty. So I save that four-fifths of a tablet in a bag and save it for next time. Because I don't, I don't want to take any of the 9,999. You know, when you, you know, flocculate out, if it's the, the protein in the the fermenter or, or, or kettle with the, the carrageenan or whether it's you're fermenting out the the yeast in the uh in the fermenter the end of fermentation the process is kind of the same you're using these kind of polymers you know these long long molecules with charges on them light charges repel the only way for them not to repel is to kind of neutralize them see the dose rate that you add needs to be in line with the amount of stuff that you're removing so if you go too far beyond you've got you know this excess of these these big long molecules which uh don't don't want to to nest with one another because they've got all these opposing charges and you get this like this bulky sediment um so the they tend to be, you know, the bulky sediment will increase quite a lot with, you know, a really superficial kind of change at a kind of homebrew level. You know, with the, you know, with the tablets, it's like I think I think it's about half a gram, and they tend to, you know, the tablets are about like two, two point four, two point five grams each. You know, so it's a quarter, a fifth, about that. I'd say with home brewing, you, you're better going a little bit under uh, an optimized application rate. Most of the time, what I do with you know with my job is I I visit breweries and I will do these trials, these assays, and I'm gauging whether they should be putting in two grams per 100 liters, or three grams per 100 liters, or four grams per 100 liters, and occasionally you'll do. You know, some either side, and it's that much difference. And I've made mistakes, you know, or or, or I've gauged it wrong by like a gram and a hundred liters, and you know, breweries will lose like hundreds of thousands of gallons. Um, so if, if you're home brewing, you know, it, you know, the, the same rules apply. That you know, just just be vigilant. You know, don't ever think that. You know, if if one tablet does, you know, didn't quite do it, you know, last time, so next time you're going to put in two, it, it, it may be the opposite way around. It may be that you put in half or a quarter next time rather than in one.
And then do, what what type uh, just quick question for for you do you sell any type of findings that are for the homebrew level? No, yeah, no, it's 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 on the it's on the on the trajectory. Uh, we mostly supply to you know to, to commercial breweries, you know, from from some of the big guys down to down to the brew pubs. It's it's a wonderful market, you know. I, I'm really wanting to 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 access it. Uh, you know, we work with BSG. They do have, you know, they've got a homebrew wing. Their, you know, their their hops are fantastic. They they, they package the hops, um, they develop them, and you know, I've been out to turn out to Yakima, and, you know, kind of rubbed them. Uh, so yeah, watch this space. I mean, the the other, uh, I think that the one I get most interest from, which we can maybe chat about next time, is with with an enzyme, not so much a finding agent. It's uh, an enzyme called ALDC. Which you know, the, there's this phenomenon called dry hop creep. Uh, yep. You know, kind of learn a lot about. It. So yeah, there's there's some some interest there, and it's just kind of it's working with uh, you know kind of partners who who excel in in kind of packaging down to down to that size. Yeah, and 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 just just uh, for listeners, you know, I am gonna link to like some silica findings that are for a homebrew scale in the show notes, mm-hmm. just so that like, Hey, if, if, if you want to test out some of these types of findings, um, you can check them out. Um, I, I, I don't know. Is ice and glass even something you can buy for a homebrew level? I I've never seen it. So I've seen it. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it wasn't our stuff. I know the names of the, the guys that make it, um, it, you know, it, it was packaged for, I think it was packaged for wine. Uh, it will work work in beer. It doesn't work so well in cider. The the pH drops too low. Um, but it, it is available. Yeah, I can you know put my email up on on the website. If anyone anyone wants it, you know, I don't know how many listeners yeah. you've got. Um, yeah, we we you know we, I can I can I can help you source it. Uh, happy to supply it. Yeah. Answer any questions. You know, although we don't. Um, although we don't manage to get much out to to the homebrew market, you know, you, know, you guys are my flock, you know, and I, I just want to see good beer being made, and all these products <laughs> will work to a certain extent, you know, if, if they're applied correctly. Um, so yeah, yeah, give me a call, give me a shout, I can you know try and help you out, you know. I just want to see. Yeah, well, and and homebrew clubs obviously can buy you know, larger packages of, of findings as well and, uh, split them amongst the club. We personally, at my homebrew club do a similar thing where we, you know, we will buy like full liter bottles of, of certain findings and split them up and, and we'll, you know, like we'll buy a bunch of biofine and we'll split it up. Right. So, uh, that's definitely something that, uh, we, we do as a club. And mm-hmm. so also, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll definitely get your contact information and we'll put that in the show notes. So if anybody has any questions about any of these types of products, uh, you know, ask a finding expert, uh, he, he can tell you about it. Uh, you guys do other stuff too, the, not just findings, uh, you guys have, uh, you know, all all, of, yeah. all sorts, yeah. I mean, yeah. with uh, uh, you know, there's two thousand odd breweries in the UK, and you know, seven thousand in the USA. 
40 different countries around the world and you know we were the company from you know 100 years ago 70 years ago 50 years ago if you were an oddball brewery that had a way of doing things and you needed a like a speciality chemical blended to your way we made it for you and you know we've continued to make it for for 80 years so there's this bespoke formulations china clay you know if you go to you know, like new glarus brewing in wisconsin you can see china clay painted on uh the side of his open fermenters i know chino was talking about that last time you know that's that's our china clay uh you know if you are a, a yorkshire square brewer and your your yeast is having a problem uh you know flocculating to the top so you can skim it for the next batch we we make a product called alcatase that you will throw in and that will cause the yeast to uh, flocculate to the top and you can skim it to put in the beer um uh, cork mats which the the draymen like to use in the uk to drop the barrels onto because you know you know bags filled with corks that you know you would normally see in a wine bottom give them the correct amount of bounce that they like for for dropping casks onto <laughs> we make those uh yeah it's it, it's a curious place long long back catalog you know a lot of the stuff isn't in our in in in, in our kind of in our brochure but you know we continue to make it for for 100 years that, that's just awesome and, and hey it's been a it's been a long pandemic what have you made what, what kind of beers have you made and, and what are you enjoying these days? Yeah, so we we work with Lalamand a little bit. Uh, they released some new yeast. So I what did I try out? Uh, I, bought, I bought two freezers. I tried out, uh, I think I, I, I did a 3470 versus the Lalamand Diamond Lager yeast. I, I used the greek uh i tried the the philly sour i'm not not too big a sour fan i think uh one of, i don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with you know you want to experiment but you know you end up with five gallons or something and it's got to go somewhere uh a really good oatmeal stout uh i lived for a while in new zealand i spent a lot of time trying to like replicate a new zealand lager um called emerson's that I, I tried over there uh you know using some of these kind of new zealand hops it was for me you know from trying to remember a beer from from eight years ago uh a lot of time doing that i think what i had lined up was i think like a red ale for around about here um but yeah just yeah finding the time and uh you know the ability to to get through it all hey it's uh that is a uh, you know, having too much beer is a, a good problem to have, but as you know, that's why you could, you could always make one gallon batches. I, uh, I did a whole show on it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, and, I think, I think that this came up in the Redmond forum. If you, if you're doing a one gallon batch, uh, you know, it's like 0 0.05 grams of a fining agent. Uh, and I'd made I'd made the exact same mistake that this guy had because I worked I worked in a brewery and we were doing um, like R and D you know you can't see me but I'm putting like you know the, the inverted kind of comma up in the air signal uh, which was me bringing in my like electric tear in which you can you know you could electric boiling is more popular in the UK because we've got 240 volts and 
you know, I drew off some work to, to boil with some different hops and went over to the this package of of, of findings and, and, and took out, you know, what I thought was the correct, correct amount. It was like a like a handful and threw it in and cooled it down and you know, I I made a jelly. Um, so <laughs> yeah, absolutely if you're uh doing like a one gallon batch, I don't know if you mentioned this in the you know the presentation, yeah, be be very careful. Don't don't add the same amount thinking it's uh gonna give the same effect yeah you want to you want to go go real low do, do a yeah you gotta you gotta scale up it's it's like yeah uh, you, i mean i know you live in colorado so that you know they you know same as me here in massachusetts now that you can buy a, like an accurate like scale that will go to 0 0.01 of a gram at the gas station you know there's yep. there's, there's, there's benefits there that they're, they're easy to come by so yeah, uh, you know those yeah. legal states they 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 <laughs> just have uh, scales all over. But it's funny is uh I I actually I have a scale that goes to like I think you know four zeros. I have a really really fine one that I bought from China for $10 off of AliExpress and I bought it specifically to do my brewing salts, right? I I I only needed a hundredth of a gram, but I ended up at, you know, uh -huh. uh, like you know 10,000th of a gram. But uh it, it works great. And, you know, it was $10 on, on a Chinese website. And, and that's also another, you know, when, if you need to get that small, you're doing a one gallon batch and you need to weigh out your findings specifically to a one gallon batch or even hops, right. For a one gallon batch, um, can get into less, way less than a gram. And so you have to, you have to, you have to kind of think that way in those one gallon batches. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I, I kind of rebounded. I, I I don't want to get too far off topic, but I was I I spent a while trying to trying to brew almost by like uh, you know sense of smell or something like that. Barely using anything when I, you know when I first moved over, I was broke. Uh, I didn't have much equipment. It changed now, and now you know really start to tighten up. Yeah, you know, I, I could probably talk for a lot longer, but yeah, I got 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 things you know a pH meter and you know good good kind of uh you know saccharometer and you can take a bit of workbench and i can put my laptop and i you know i use brew smith and you know remembering when you know because i you know i'd learned all the calculations at school i used to do everything you know quite literally back of the envelope and then you know lose the envelope um yeah i'm a you know diploma brewer you know it's kind of uh, hardly set an example but yeah yeah really kind of tightened up and you know got scales and the correct measuring equipment and it, it, it has really shown you know kind of quite pleased with the, the results now yeah i think that you know when we think about making great the difference between good beer and great consistent beer is all processed right and so mm -hmm. I, I think that that's and and you know, to me, it's like the batches where I don't take pH readings and I, I cut shortcuts. Don't get me wrong. They generally turn out and they're fine. But mm -hmm. it's something where if you really put all of the work into it and you, and you don't cut corners and you make sure all your numbers are right and every, you, 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 you really focus on process, those are the beers that end up being my best beers, right? And maybe it's because I put in all that process and it's just my brain thinking it's the best beer. But on the other hand, those also end up usually being my competition beers. And those are the beers that end up, you know, winning medals. So it's to me, that's the process, right? It's all process. 
Yeah, I've I've never entered a a, a brewing competition. Um, it's uh, I, I kind of realize I you know I got a degree in brewing, so if 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 I win, people are going to think I'm a you know. I'm a dick, you know. If I lose, people are like, you know, oh, this guy, this guy's got a brewing degree. He didn't win. He's a dick, you know. Yeah. You can always judge, um, man. You can always judge. Yeah, I've done a few of those. It's, I've, 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 I've you know, I have judged competitions, and then uh, you know, I, I get pulled up, you know, by my wife about it. She, she you know, we're, you know, you'd be at, you know, friends, neighbors, brunch or something like that. She's like, Jamie, he, he, he went to Mexico city and judged a beer competition. That, that's his work. And I'm like, it, it is work. It's, it's after, after a heavy day of, you know, kind of like judging it, it like, it, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it, it's a slog and every, everyone in the room is laughing and it is, you know, it's work. And I've been enjoying it. Is it. Work. It's, I, it's I, you're, talking, job, you're talking but... to a crowd that understands that it is work. I mean, come on. You, yeah. You okay. To, yeah, like, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we, we all I need get to go to brunch at your house. <laughs> <laughs> it is work. I mean, imagine having like, let's say you go and you're judging a, a brewing competition with five or six hundred different beers in it, and you've got to do you know uh-huh. five or six different categories in it, and you've got to taste all the beers in those categories, and you got to try to make it so that your mouth isn't burnt out, and you want to give good feedback on every single beer. It's a lot it, of work. It's a good good feedback, yeah, because, I mean, the, the ones yeah. I've done, I've not done too many, but, you know, the, it, it tends to be in, like, like Latin America, and they, 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 they just want to learn and grow. They don't mind that, you know, they're not, not winning, uh, but they want the feedback. And, yeah, after 500 beers, trying to figure out a new way to describe beer foam, yeah, I, I, you know, I care about you just as much as the number one. I'm, try, I'm trying to do it, but and I don't want to just, just <laughs> recite. But I've got, I've got like you know, limited capacity to describe you know beer foam. Um, but yeah, you know, enjoy it. You know, want, want to give everyone my best. Awesome. Well, Jamie, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on Homebrewing DIY. I, I This was a, a very fun conversation. I know that it's like, hey, we're going to talk about findings. But in the end, uh, you're, you're, you're a great storyteller. And I, I love hearing about uh, your brewing experience and, and, and what you're doing. And uh, I, I thought it was a wonderful conversation. I, I will put uh, Jamie's contact information for work in uh over at murphy and son into the show notes so that if if anybody has any questions uh please reach out to him i'm sure he would love to let you know and and, uh help in any way to you know we it's all about making great beer and uh thank you for coming on homebrewing diy yeah thank you for having me yeah let's do it again sometime oh absolutely uh i i'm already thinking of all the shows i'm gonna have you on I'd like to thank Jamie for coming on this week's show. It was a great conversation and really just fun to talk to him about, you know, making clear beer. It was, it was a wonderful conversation. So thank you, Jamie. Definitely have you back. You can find us on any of the socials out there. All one word at homebrewing DIY. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, give us a follow. I'd love to hear from you and send us feedback. I didn't have any this week. So We'll do it next week. Well, that's it for this week on Homebrewing DIY.